Welcome to the Keto for Endurance Athletes podcast, where we show you how to push through the nutrition and training barriers that are holding you back in order to finally get the healthy body and race results you've always wanted. Take the guesswork out of your training and gain the fitness and confidence you need to succeed. Give one of our free training plans a try at www.ketoendurance.co. Peak on race day. Howdy, everybody. This is Coach Stephanie with the Keto for Endurance Athlete podcast. And for those folks who've been asking for another interview, I'm sorry about my delay, but I do have Jonathan Shane from the Keto Road who's gonna talk about his marathon experience. He worked with me while he was training for for the Woodlands Marathon. And we're gonna go over sort of his experience. We're gonna go way back and Keto, how he found Keto. And he obviously learned a lot, really loved it, did some great things, bodybuilding, and then decided to run a marathon and had some experiences before he met me. And we started working together and had some different experiences. He did his race, did great. And then we're doing the recap now. And then we're going to talk about what to do after you do your race and then back to that cycle of training. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. I've been, I've been looking forward to talking to you all, all week. So I'm excited about this. Okay. Talk about how you found keto and about that experience. Yeah, so uh, my ketogenic journey actually starts a little bit more shallow than you would think. I um, I struggle with e- with bulimia. That's a big part of why you know what I do is help people overcome eating disorders because of my own journey. And I was in one of my yo-yo dieting phases, and I couldn't break past one ninety-five. I don't know why I just couldn't. And I started googling weight loss hacks to get more shredded, and keto popped up. In fact, this guy named Brandon Carter. He calls himself the Keto King. He was like do keto, do keto. And I was like, okay. So I gave it a shot. And yeah, I lost another six pounds, got abs. It was all fun. But what I re- what really made me stick with it was I tried to have a cheat day like three months into it and I felt terrible, felt miserable. And then I stayed strict again. And then in December, Christmas Eve of 2017, I had Christmas cookies and I woke up the next morning and I felt terrible again. And I was like, and it dawned on me in that moment, I was like, wait, all I'm doing is eating cookies. Why is this making me feel so bad? And it dawned on me, I always felt that bad. I just had never felt this good. And I was just going back to the, what, I've, what I was so used to feeling. And I'm like, blew my mind when I had that revelation. And so I was like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And little did I know that deciding, making that decision that night um, led me to going the longest I've gone without a relapse and bulimia. I've been going on three years. It'll be three years in September. And yeah, I mean, I, I literally live my life helping people through with the ketogenic diet and uh, with eating disorders and things like that. And hopefully going into some endurance training myself. So uh, I'm excited. I, I love this diet very much so. Very cool. First off, I did know about the bulimia before we worked together. I don't... <laughs> you have all these followers, all these people know you. And my friend Jessica knows all the keto people. And she's like, Oh, I know who Jonathan Shane is. So you obviously built a, built a big following, but not a lot of men talk about eating disorders. And I think it is a problem with people like men, a lot of just people in general don't know what to eat because the food pyramid doesn't make people feel good. 
And it leads just by that alone leads people to have mental health issues, physical issues, you know, weird cravings, just crazy things that go, go on with their body. And then after you figured out keto, then you start bodybuilding. Yeah. I've always been like a meathead. So when I decided to stay keto, I started Googling cause I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm a meathead. I have to put on muscle, you know? So I started Googling keto bodybuilding. I was like, is that even possible? And then I landed up across a Robert Sykes keto savage. And I was like, this dude is diced. This is awesome. So started emailing and we started going back and forth. And yeah, I, I, that February, so more like five months into my keto journey, I started doing a bodybuilding prep. I prepped for that, got on stage, got third place, coolest, one of the hardest things I'd ever experienced at that point in time in my life. And then I did off season. I put on a bunch of muscle, built 10 pounds of lean mass on keto. And then I did another bodybuilding prep during COVID and my show got canceled, but I decided to finish the prep and I did a photo shoot and it was cool because like I weighed the same in both my shows, but the second one I was dramatically, my body composition was dramatically different, which just proved my point that you don't need carbohydrates to build muscle. So yeah, it, fun experience. It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about food control. It really helped me with my eating stuff because um, it just forced me to control my food quality and, and understand what's going on in my mouth and that all that matters, which was heightened even more so with the endurance training. Because speaking strictly oh, yes. on the uh, bodybuilding, yeah, speaking strictly yeah. on the bodybuilding, yeah, it was, it was a big change, but it taught me a lot about myself for sure. I loved it. Very cool. And then what just made you decide to run a marathon? Like why, why did oh. that pop in your head that I want to do a marathon? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I laugh because when I told people, they were like, wait, wait, you want to go from literally hating cardio to literally only doing cardio it's a big change i mean it's we talked a lot about slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fibers and if you want to run fast you have to activate those those slow twitch muscle fibers and bodybuilding is all fast twitch and you're not going to be which is just a big change like your whole body has to change yeah no exactly and so what really started it was when I was bodybuilding my second prep, I started to become more, I know me and Ashley were talking about starting a family and I was looking at my life and bodybuilding was great. And it was great for me in that season. And I still love those weights. I still do lift weights. We lift weights my entire training. I, I love it. But the bodybuilding itself, like competitively bodybuilding, I was very obsessive with my food. I got, I got very obsessive. Like me and me and Ashley didn't eat dinner together. I didn't really have food freedom. I didn't know how to just listen to my body and nourish it. It was more of like, I'm eating these exact macros for this exact goal, which was great for what I was doing. But I was like, okay, my wife didn't marry a bodybuilder. I kind of became one like half, you know, two, three years into our marriage. So I'm like, do, is this something that I can do for the rest of my life? Cause I don't want to like pour all this into it and it become inconsistent and get in the way of my marriage you know, things like that. And just like, so for me personally, cause I don't think it just, I don't think bodybuilding ruins marriages. I just think for me in my situation due to like my next step with my eating disorder, I wanted to learn food freedom. I wanted to learn to trust my body's hunger cues. And so for all that, I decided to quit bodybuilding. And so, and that matters, like peace matters. So I decided to quit bodybuilding. I've made a video about it. I was like, I'm not going to prep again. I want to focus on healing my body. I want to focus on my marriage and starting a family. And I just, it's just for me, because of my, my compulsive focus on things, it just wasn't healthy. 
And so then, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of extremes. Okay. That's a personality for a lot of one athletes in general and two, mm-hmm. a lot of keto people, because mm-hmm. in order to find keto, you have to be curious and looking for something and just be like, yeah. Oh, I'm, and then stick to it. Cause the hard, the hardest part is starting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I had my photo shoot, uh, for my bodybuilding show and I had it, you know, I had my refeed, my caloric refeed. I felt good. So the next morning I didn't want to lift weights. I've been lifting weights in my garage for weeks because I didn't have a gym. I was like, I'm going to go for a run. So I just went for a four mile run and I felt great. I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. So I went for another run and then my wheels started turning after that second one. And I was like, Hmm, this should, I, I think I want to be a runner. This would be fun. And then, of course, I'm a balls to the walls kind of guy. So I was like, I'm going to qualify for Boston. And I made a post about it. I announced it. I'm like, I'm going to qualify for Boston next year. <laughs> Most ignorant statement now I've ever made in my entire life. But so that's what started it. I literally was like trying to find something that would allow me to have food freedom, nourish my body, something that I could be passionate about. Um, or at least try and enjoy and something that was challenging. I did not know I was going to fall in love with it the way that I have. I did not know that I was going to enjoy it as much as I have, but it was just, it was just something that was challenging that fit into the way I wanted to take my life as a whole. Very cool. All right. So then when you started running, you were working with a friend about doing building base, base building. And you were doing Mapitone training, maximum aerobic function, heart rate training, which is a, I promote a lot. And um, somebody who would come with to me with no running experience, I would have had them build a base. But at, you were just base building and then you never switched to build. There's base phase and then build phase, which is based on pace. So heart rate, and then mm-hmm. you switch. So you were stuck in base building. And, and can you talk a little bit? You had a little few hiccups along the way while you're base building and things sort of misconceptions you had about marathon training. Yeah. So the first one was, you know, we get that later, kind of like the pose method. I didn't know what that was. I didn't even know that, like, you know. And so early on, at first, it was great. Super great. I was eating strict keto, no carbs, no nothing. And I was progressing. I remember my math pace was like 10 30 minute per mile pace. You know, and about two months into it, I was down to like a 9 30, 9 40. Like it was getting, it was getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. I started to go backwards. Like my heart rate wouldn't stay low when I ran. You know, and it just progressively got worse. And I started to get injuries. Like I remember, and this is the, I think that there's two, it's twofold here. I think it was both the the running form. So I guess one of the first misconceptions like running form, you know, if you just, if you, if it feels good, that doesn't mean that it's going to feel good 10 miles later if you're not doing it right. You know, because I think everybody, even if they have bad form, feel good at mile one, but like, how are your legs and joints going to feel at mile 10? You know, I didn't think about that. And so you know, uh, I remember I pulled my Achilles. I uh, messed up my IT band. I pulled my hip. I tore my abdominal wall. Oh, I had a lot of injuries happen perfect. within like, oh, within like 12 weeks of each other. Right? Oh, when people come to me, they come to me for nutrition information because I'm keto for endurance athletes. And I think that that for me, I, it's been a angst for me because I think yeah, I do promote keto adaptation, 
but also there's a lot more to training for a marathon than just what you eat and putting one foot in front of the other. And that's the frustrating part to me because run form is so important to go fast. Mm. And if you run with bad form, you're only going to get better at running badly. Yeah, um, no, I agree. No, I agree. I mean, like I think about my marathon, which we'll get into later. I mean, like I have no joint pain at all. I had no joint pain. I still have no joint pain, right? And I ran like, almost 26 miles. It's crazy. So, of course, two. Point two. Yeah, it's point, yeah, <laughs> never forget that, that point two, that last nasty point two. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of people are like, how are your knees doing? And I'm like, fine. You know, I have good running form. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. Get that cadence up. So for those folks don't know, I, I teach the pose method of running. I'm a certified pose method run coach. And it's all about your run form. And you picked up the run form pretty quick. Like you got your cadence up. So you want to have a, a hundred step, uh, 80 steps per minute. And you are very close to that all the time. So that's good. And you want to pull your leg up. So you're not trying to step out. You're just pulling and leaning and your foot falls just to catch yourself. And one of the things I'm like, just remember, pull, lean, pull, lean. And I think that you probably have that little mantra in your head because you did a great job with that. But, so when we, we started working together, I, I use, I don't have the book in front of me, but there's Furman University did some study on running, running fast. And I basically use their paces and their recommendations to reach a, a running goal. And that's what we were basing your pace on. What are the mm -hmm. things aside from run form that you had misconceptions about training that you learned with the training program? Yeah. So, so running form was a big one. And the second one was nutrition. So as I said, I had this idea, like when I first started, I was like, I'm going to be an elite endurance athlete with no carbs ever. And I think for me, that was a huge misconception. And I was just so, I, I guess like I was so narrow. I was so like, I had my blinders on. And so like, I wasn't willing to look at the truth. And that's not like I was destroying my body. And so to go back to the story, kind of like when I was getting injured, started getting chronic joint pain. I started um, having irregular heart rate. Like a quick example, runners that are listening to this will understand this, these words, this language. So I was doing a tempo run and from the warm up to the first interval, normally when I was at my best, when I was progressing at that time, my heart rate went from 155 to about 180 over the course of about five minutes. Right. And then it yeah. stayed at 185 and then dropped. That's crazy. Yeah. When I was at my worst, when, yeah. when everything was really coming, I was having mood swings, heart rate was irregular, all that. I was doing a tempo run and from warm up to entering the tempo, my heart rate went from 155 to 200 in about 35 seconds. And so like, I couldn't get up and go for walks. Like my body was just jacked up and I didn't understand why, but I couldn't keep running. I, I just couldn't run. Like we tried taking three days off. We tried taking a week off. We tried cutting strength training out for a little bit. We tried everything. And the only thing I hadn't tried was targeting carbs around my runs. And literally within two days of doing that, all my symptoms started to go away. My fasted glucose got better. My ketones got better. 
my chronic and the really the ones that really matter to me, the chronic, the chronic joint pain went away, the mood swings stopped, my heart rate came, I was actually able to start progressing in my runs and get back to like actually base building. No more injuries. The injuries just magically stopped. I, and that was right before I met you. I think about that was probably like, yeah, we started, we started working together like like six weeks later. And so like yeah. it was that was a crazy experience. Cause for me it was like understanding the context of because I feel like people think about the keto diet, but they don't think about ketogenic endurance athletes. There's a difference there. Right. Like and there are what, some there you know? are some endurance athletes who don't ever use carbs. There are some carnivore endurance athletes, but they for one, you have to eat enough. So that's something that's and it takes a very, very long time. It takes years of you didn't come from a running background. So it takes like it would take you at least a year or longer to ramp up with just keto and running and you have to add more food. So that's something that we also talked about is I, I recommend using chronometer because it takes into account nutrition. It's easy to, to calculate, but getting enough fuel on training days. So is that something that was different for you whenever I'm like, you have to eat what you burn or else you are not going to be able to recover? Were you so doing that, that before? Uh, no, no. I mean, I was eating like 3000 calories a day, isk, but not like what we were doing. The The idea of like having a base cal- caloric amount and then adding whatever you burned via activity on top of that, that was new to me and I loved it. I mean, like, it was weird, actually. Like I was telling a friend because I lost like seven pounds during our training block, which I didn't really care about the weight. It was just, it was just cool that the, some of the body fat right. fell off. But I was like, I've never lost weight, and I don't want to eat. Like I am so tired of eating. Like those long. It's a lot days. of food. So I, don't know, I have my thoughts because it's like I look at like because I feel like it's something that you and me have talked about too, and I think this makes the difference too. Is Like if you want to just, if you want to just be able to run distance, if you just want to be able to run distance, if you want to be able to run a marathon, I don't think you need carbs. I think if you stay at Maffetone pace and you make sure you never speed up. Right. Exactly. But the minute, like I, I want to be a low carb ketogenic athlete on a podium seat. Yeah, that's not possible. I have to, the the way I, the way I feel from a fat based perspective changes, you know, it changes a little bit. And I think that's another thing too, is like, okay, if I would have said, I just want to run, I bet you like, I bet you at this point I am conditioned enough. I probably could run a marathon fasted. It would be a slow one, but I could do it. But could I become right. an elite endurance athlete on that without being strategic? No. Right. And I think that that's a misconception that people And there's have these too. people, they like Zach Fitter and Roman Bardet and Chris Froome. They're all keto adapted athletes. They all use carbs on race day and in training. And in, in building, you know, their fitness, they're all using carbs. So this idea that you can be an endurance, an elite endurance athlete and not add carbs. That's why when we talked and you're like, I want to run Boston. I'm like, well, then you will need strategic carbs. You're not going to be able to run, do that without strategic carbs. If you want to run a slow marathon, you don't ever have to add a carb ever. There's people who go through their whole life with no, no carbs. Yeah. I mean, different cultures who eat a lot of meat, like the, the reindeer people in 
Siberia or the Maasai, they're going their whole yep. life without a single carb and they're fine. And some of it, you know, is adaptation. They have years to adapt, but there's not anybody who's an elite endurance athlete who is on the podium who's not adding in some carbs. Yeah, something, and I think that you're passionate about this too. And something that I, you know, as I've become more immersed into this world, I'm getting passionate about is that there is, and this is, I think this is also something that we we should clarify too. It's like, yes, like if you want to run fast, right, with an elevated heart rate and run as fast as you can and like get PRs on your, you know, your marathons and your half marathons, strategic carbs do need to be implemented, but that doesn't negate the fact that you, it would be more beneficial to be ketogenic as an athlete. And I think, I think from like an, a, an endurance athlete perspective, that's defined as I'm fat based. Like, you know, think about it. So during my marathon, I took 40 grams of carbs total. Right. And I might, I might've actually needed to do a little bit more towards the Probably end, which we can talk more, about. Yeah. but I yeah. did 40 grams. That's only 160 calories. I burned 4,000 calories. Right. And think about it. So I also had 50 grams of exogenous ketones and like 20 grams of MCTs, which is like 70 grams of fat, which still means my fuel that I drank during my run was still ketogenic. It was 64% fat. So we are able to actually utilize less carbs, but more efficiently because we're fat based. And so even though we're saying that to be elite, you need to utilize carbs strategically, it's still beneficial to not just completely rely on them and rely more primarily on fat for your fuel, like throughout the race. And that's what I, right. That's true. And it's, and the formula has to match whatever you are specifically doing. So when we were working together, and I think this is confusing for people, I tell you, you have to test out what you're going to use for race day because you tested out honey, you tested out MCT, you tested out um, exogenous ketones. And you found the formula that worked for you on race day. And that may change. So in the build phase of training, you're going to want to test out different combinations of things that specifically work with your body. And you can, you know, you can use power or pace. You want to have like the same environment, the same road, the same you know, on a treadmill or on a trainer on your bike, or just like I ride, run this road every single day, you know, try to make the scenario the same and then test out how this works for you. And there's generally a tipping point, especially with carbohydrates. This amount works great. This gives you, and then if you tip that point, then it actually makes you sluggish. And the same with exogenous ketones and the same with MCT oil. There's a tipping point and you just have to figure out what works for you. And I think that's a frustrating thing for a lot of people because they want me to just tell them do this amount because for a a carbohydrate dependent endurance athlete or endurance athlete who follows their traditional training plan, their coach is telling them have a hundred grams or a hundred calories of carbohydrates every hour, set a timer and take in a hundred grams of carbohydrates every hour. Well, that method, if you were a fat adapted endurance athlete, that would probably make you sluggish because it's so much carbohydrates. But mm-hmm. 20 calories of carbohydrates an hour 
is probably optimal or even 50 calories or, you know, 75. But it's just finding that little combination that you see, I, I get better, better, better. Oh, now I'm not getting better. And that's the Mm -hmm. point where you're like, Oh, okay. This is what works for me. And that's, I think, a frustrating part for a lot of my clients is that I'm asking them to test it out and I give you options and it's, you have to, to be the one who's testing it. So what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts are this. I think one, you got lucky with me because I'm a nutritionist. So I love to play with nutrition. So that's an easy bout. Just tell me, play with it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to test things. And if any of your clients are listening, I think the thing to remember, and I come at this very much like with my clients on with what I specialize in, like, you know, and even when I, cause I do want to start doing endurance coaching because I, I really do love it. But, you know, bio-individuality is a big deal, right? And I think that that's important. Like I don't give out cookie cutter crap either because it's like, you need to figure out what works best for you. My, I am a guiding tool, right? I, I, I allow you, I'm like the guardrails in a bowling alley, okay? I keep you from hitting the gutter. That doesn't mean you don't have to bowl. You still have to bowl. You have to swing the ball. You're doing the work. I am guiding you. And I think it, I, I think it comes back to a lot of people that don't really care about the client. They care about the money and they just put out a PDF and they're like, here, here's meal plans. Here's what your macros need to be. I'll talk to you in six weeks. Or if you email my support group, they'll get with you and help you out. And they have kind of like that method. And so when they come to people like us, they're like, no, like I want to guide you so that you can figure out what works best for you as an individual, which requires you to test. I think that that's where the friction comes in. And so for my thoughts, yeah. like, well, I love and that I've done those cookie. Yeah, I participated. I've done those cookie cutter programs and I, I did not have success. And I know that there's, there are some coaches out there and there are a lot of people who do get success from that, but that doesn't work for everybody. And I don't think that, um, it definitely didn't work for me and it doesn't work. I like, I like to communicate a lot with my clients and figure out what they're feeling and which is sometimes hard because people don't know how they're feeling. They don't know like what kind of response they're, they're wanting. And it's a little teasing out of figuring out like, oh, this is the information they need. So that's a, that's about the nutrition part. You're good at testing. And then the taper, you were not good about stop weightlifting. <laughs> but then... <laughs> no, listen, I am an endurance athlete now through and through. I love that way more than bodybuilding. But you see this little guy on my shirt? That I have that much bodybuilder still in me. Okay. He's, he's there. He's a little <laughs> tiny guy. And he definitely is passionate about lifting weights. And you took that away from me. And that, that was as the taper, the running part of the taper wasn't that hard for me. It was not lifting weights, like not being able to do anything like, like that. I was just like, Oh my gosh. Can we? Well, just it's a little boring. Yeah. Cause you're, you're so used to. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then for one, you have all this time on your hands. And then you have this event that's a little bit scary coming up. And you have this time Mm -hmm. to think about this event. A lot of times people get like funky ghost aches and pains. And that's just stress. And you didn't seem to have any of that. And then the race day 
talk about the whole experience because I really enjoy, I don't know now because of COVID, it's the same, but I enjoyed packet pickup and sort of the vibe around the race and then race day, everybody's sort of nervous and excited and, and that sort of thing. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. So packet pickup first. So I was excited the whole way because I had to drive to go get it because I live about an hour away from where the marathon was. Packet pickup was fun. I didn't realize and that's what made me so excited to be part of this world now, because I can say that now because I have grandma. But I got there and I was like, there was like booths and an expo going on and a bunch of people just talking about running. And I'm like, because like, you know, I came from a world where running was like demonized heavily or like, you know, you don't do cardio. Like, like cardio can be great for heart health if in some bouts, but no more than 20 minutes, three times a week. You know, you don't want to eat your muscle away. Like, well, you know, so that's for, I did the bodybuilding with Robert Sykes for a little while, and I hated it. Then the gym shut down because of COVID. I'm like, done. I'm done. I'm going back to endurance. So yeah, no, and and there's definitely there's a method to that madness, and it's beautiful if you're doing that, right? If you are bodybuilding, you know. But anyways, going back to that, like, oh yeah, I was like in the the building, and I'm like, wow, it's like a whole other world. This is cool. And of course, it's funny. One thing I noticed was I am way bigger than a lot of endurance athletes. They are so uh, yes. tiny. They were talking to everybody like, you're doing the half of the full, the half of the full. And I said, like, are you doing the half of the full? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing the full. And it was like, their eyes would get big. They're like, you're doing the full marathon? I'm like, yeah, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the keto conversation was another one. Like, oh, do you do carbs or keto? And I'm like, I'm like, or no, they're like, they're like, so what are you using to fuel the run? And I'm like, oh, exogenous ketones, MCTs, and like, you know, a little bit of carbs. And they're like, wait, you're not doing like a bunch of gels? And I'm like, do you have a gel pack? I'm like, no, I have like this little bottle. I'm just going to sip on it. And they're like, wait, you know what? And they're like, what are you, are you carb loading tonight? And I'm like, no, I do keto. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that works for you, but I love my bread. Like, it's so taboo, which is interesting. The endurance community. It's a very, very small, very small group that does any keto adaptation or fat adaptation. And I'm pretty sure I know every single coach who does. And there's not that many of us. And in any training session or I have to get continuing education credits, I'm definitely an odd man out. But that excited me. Like, I was like, man. I know it's like talking to normal people. Like I like it when keto is taboo because then I have a point to prove and I have education and I can like help people and there's like yeah. healing that can happen. And that, that excites me. I know that excites you. So I was kind of excited that it was taboo. I was like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, this is cool. So that was fun. Pack up, pick up. It was, it was exciting. I walked in and they gave me, they told me my bid, num- bid number and I went to go pick it up and I look over to my left and there's like the elite table. And I'm like, one day. I'm going to pick up my bib from that table. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. going to happen. So then I left, you know, I didn't really stay at the expo long. I got my visor there, which was cool. But um, yeah, I, I left. And then so then Saturday morning was the marathon morning. Woke up, um, had a really rough night because I have a newborn. She's two weeks old. So I have a newborn. I'm like getting ready for a marathon with a newborn. And I woke up that morning and it was interesting because like I didn't sleep very good. So like my mind was a little, uh, but like I was so pumped up on adrenaline and like, that I didn't, I didn't really notice it, but towards the end of the race, it definitely got to me. But like my legs were super fresh. I was like, man, my legs feel freaking great. So I get to the run, I get to the thing and we're actually a little, we're we're running a little bit behind because of the traffic, but the, where we had to park was about a quarter mile away. So I got to warm up 
to my to the finish line, do some, you know, get my mind right. But honestly, I was just excited to run. Like the actual marathon, I was literally just excited to start running. And so I was in wave eight. And so it, they took off and we took off. And I remember, <laughs> so, so marathon starts, boom. And I think about half half mile in, I looked down and my tracker said seven minutes and 44 seconds per mile. And I'm like, whoa, John, slow down. So I started to slow down and I slowed it down to like 8.30, 8.40. And to me in my head, I was like, okay, this is slow enough. So like I thought in that moment, I thought I had slowed down enough. And so then, you know, 8.30, 8.40, 8.30, 8.40, you know, I'm doing that. And I, I'm running with a group of guys, these, these frat boys, and they're like, you know, I'm running with them and they're cracking me up. So I'm just staying in the pace and talking with them, not thinking anything of it. The first part of the course was a lot of like little shallow steeps and then huge dips. So we would like, we would like run real, real easy. And then just like, I would just like lean a little into the dip and then just go down, which I thought I was like taking advantage of the dips. But even if you're running on a downhill, you're still exhausting your legs. And so, you know, I'm running fast and all that. And so mile zero through 10, cake. Mile one through 15 was cake. I was doing great. It, it was mile mile 16 to 20. I didn't do bad. I, I In fact, at mile 20, I was at the same minute per mile pace that I was when I ran my mock 20 mile for the marathon three weeks ago. So at that moment, I was like, okay, I got this. Six more miles. <laughs> oh, I laugh out of ignorance. I laugh out of ignorance. Um, <laughs> because mile 21 hit and all of a sudden, I'm not going to say I hit a wall. I don't feel like I hit a wall because I was able to keep running, but I definitely noticed that like the mind, the mind fatigue started to set in and you know, my legs did start to slow down. And at some point my mindset, and I think that was like, I kind of got, I got some like cognitive dissonance, like my mindset without me noticing it and catching it in time went from keep the pace that I'm at and just push through the pain to, I just need to make sure I finish. Like I kind of got scared. So like, I was like, okay, slow down, save your legs. So mile 22 happens, the level of pain in my legs. I, I had never experienced something like that. And so I'm just like one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Mile 23 happens, one foot, you know, and, and I'm getting slower every single mile, right? Like mile 21 was like 1050 mile two was 11 mile 23 was 13 you know and slower slower and then i hit mile 24 i'm about halfway through or about three quarters through mile 24 and the pain in my legs was just and i was running so slow in my in my mind i was running so slow that i was like i might as well walk so like i'm having like this mental battle and i talked myself into like power walking and i know i can't stop the minute i stop the race is over so i'm like power walking so I hit this cone, I start power walking. And so there's another cone about 50 yards in front of me. And so I'm, I'm walking to that cone. And I remember in my head, I was like, there's 25 miles all I got. Is that really all I can do? There's no way. There's no way. I Nine months of training, no way in hell. And this guy, I don't know who he is. I would love to thank him. He ran past me. And he was like, come on, Jeffrey, you got this, Jeffrey. And when I heard him say that, I was like, you know what? I got this. I got this. And so that, 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 that third cone, I just started jogging again. I just started jogging again. And I remember like the last mile, like mile 26, 
I literally could have fallen asleep. Like my mind was so out of it. Like literally I was like on autopilot. Like I was just breathing in deep, breathing out through my mouth, breathing in through my nose and just moving my legs. And I remember like on the straightaways, like my eyes were closed. Like I even have photos. My eyes are just closed while I'm running. Like I'm just like totally trying to space out. And then we hit the quarter, the last quarter mile and I turned the corner and there's the steepest hill of the entire race. And I'm just like, you psychopaths. And so I push it up. And once I get up to it, I, I, I get up over it. And then I go into this bridge and this dude says, listen, you have a 10th of a mile to the finish line. And then when that, when he said that, I guess my adrenaline got, I got a little excited. I was like, oh, I'm almost there. So I started, I started opening up my stride. And then, you know, I crossed the finish line, fell, almost fell on my knees, did fall on my knees when I finally got to the guardrail in front of my friend. And I was like, I, I fell down and I was like, that sucked. I can't wait to do another one. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's kind of like the whole marathon. It, it, if I could go back, so if I could go back, there'd be a couple things. One, I would have stayed around 850, 855, the whole marathon. I wouldn't have went lower than that at all. Um, good, good answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have stayed around but, 850 you know, the whole time. So we had talked about variable speed running mm-hmm. when we were, and I said, to be the most efficient, you want to go a little above and a little below your pace. And then I, what I was thinking when I was watching your paces, I'm like, I probably should have given you more a specific of don't go, you know, a little below your pace would have been 850, 845. Don't go lower than 845 and then go nine, you know, nine, 10, because you want it, your pace was nine minute mile. And then nine ten, and sort of vary vary that pace. Did that pop into your head at all about the variable speed? No, no. Okay, hey, no, no, so, no, no. Hold on. So the okay, so the method. Yes, I, I ever since you explained that to me, that's how I think. Like I think, okay, one because if you notice my times, I did kind of, they were varied. That wasn't that wasn't right. like it, that wasn't me just like running slow. I did that on purpose. Like one mile was eight thirty five, then the next was like eight fifty, then. 840 then i was doing that on purpose i just underestimated the 20 second difference and the variable speed so this this is my instruction for jonathan before the marathon i said for the first mile it's okay to have the adrenaline you've tapered and it's so exciting to start run a comfortable pace for the first mile and then level out at your variable speed and I think I should have been more specific about what the variable speeds is. And the variable speed is within a mile, not like one mile variable speed and one mile variable speed. So that's gotcha. like when you get, so it's just like, you know, like you talked about the cone, this cone to this cone, I'm going to run a little faster. This cone to this cone, I'm going to run a little slower, but it's just above, just barely feathering above or below the pace that you are, your desired pace. It's not these big swings, especially not a seven minute mile. (laughs) And it's so easy to get caught up in that marathon atmosphere, which is something I was worried about because it's so hard to explain the the buzz being in the corral and everybody's excited. Everybody's trained for this. You don't get to the start line of a marathon without doing a a substantial amount of training that 
you're excited. And all those, if they followed any training plan at all, all these people have tapered. So they're all jumping out of their skin, ready to go. And it's really easy to get caught up in that momentum. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and, and even though I think, I think me, it was just simply uneducated. I just simply wasn't experienced with it yet. Cause I'd never done it because I had watched people, people that I love to watch run that even said they went too fast up front. So I knew, I knew I needed to slow down. I just didn't know to exactly where to slow down to. And so that's one thing I would change is definitely like 850 the whole time. The second thing I would change is nutrition. I would add another 20 grams of carbs and about another 20 grams of exogenous ketones around mile 22. I wish I would have done that mile 21. Um, I feel indeed at like mile 19, mile 20. I wish I would have had just something else. Did you get any fuel off the race, the course? Because you kind of grabbed something off the course. I took water. Okay. I could not take the Gatorade. I just couldn't do it. I really couldn't do it. I know it's terrible. I probably should have, but like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself to drink it. I, I ran past it so often and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Well, I mean, the Gatorade probably would have helped you, but because it has electrolytes in and they usually use Gatorade Endurance, which has a little more electrolytes than regular Gatorade. I just didn't want the syrups. Like I didn't want. Well, they use high fructose corn. Yeah. They use it actually. The Gatorade Endurance uses a combination of different carbohydrates, but, and they usually have some goos or gels on the course too. Did you see that at all? I did, but I, I didn't want anything except for carbs that I knew made me feel good. I didn't want to take a chance on anything making me feel sick. I didn't want, and I didn't yeah. want to take any carbs in without exogenous ketones or MCTs with the balance it out. Like I just, I just didn't want to. And I know, I know that hindered me. I know if I would have just like taken three or four of those at mile, like 20, 21, 22, and would have just chunked them back. I might've been able to hit sub four. Cause I really think, I don't know. I, I think if I would have played it right, I do think I'm capable of it. I just think there were some nuances oh, in the way you're that you're hundred percent capable of it. You could have. And I, I hope I prepped you mentally. Like your first race, the first, the first time you run a marathon, your goal is to finish. And mm-hmm. it's not like people who qualify for Boston. It takes years and many races to get the little combination of race experience, training experience, the nutrition down. There's all these little tops you have to turn that, you know, tops in training. I was thinking about the day whenever I was riding my bike and then running that all these, these different pieces of the puzzle that you have to put together that people don't realize like, oh, I need this nutrition piece. I need this nutrition piece to be keto adapted or fat adapted, which is going to make you faster overall. But at some point you have to make the switch from keto adapted to strategic carbs. And that's a, that's a little piece of the puzzle that you have to figure out. And then it's the training balance, the training form, run form, building a base level of fitness, building speed. And then the race experience, there's all these little tops you have to turn that make qualifying for an event like Kona or Boston or Western States, if you do ultra marathons that you have to get right. And some people it's easier to turn those tops because they have some good genes and other people it's, it just takes more time and more focus. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. So 
that nutrition piece. And then I think better, I better understand now. Cause I, I always get worried because I have never experienced like the difference between marathon pain and injury. And so like, I would always hesitate when I felt pain. Cause I'm like, I don't want to hurt myself, but like, it does like, like I saw people running, you know, six minute miles that day and they were probably in excruciating pain, just like me at mile 22, 23, 24. So like you always say, right? Like it doesn't feel better. You just get faster. Right. Yeah. You well, know? that's true. So but I will I, tell you for someone who's, I've run a few marathons and done, you know, I've only done one Ironman, but a few, quite uh, a few half Ironmans that, I've been had training pain and I've had injury pain and they're really not that it doesn't feel that different. That's so good. why would you tell me that? Don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just saying, you know, you have to listen to your body and sort of measure it out because, well, my story about the, I just did the half Ironman, Arizona half Ironman, and I had not really trained that well for it because I was convinced that they were going to cancel it because they canceled every race up to that race. And they actually canceled every race after lucky me who was not prepared. And I had a lot of pain in the run. And then I did injure my hamstring and I'm still dealing with it. And I think, well, would I have injured it or less injured? I mean, I feel like now that I've had years of doing endurance sports training, it's a really fine line between pushing and injury but even if you get injured you can recover from it so um i yeah. i don't know if that helps you so, at yeah, all so it does i mean i just so basically like to round out like the so i would definitely change the way i handle my pace i would change i would add a little bit to my nutrition towards the end of the race and then number three i would definitely try to push myself a little bit more towards the end like now that I know, cause like, I think part of what made me hesitate too, was like, I just didn't know that that was just part of it. Right. It's, it's the same thing when I ran my first 20 miler, my first 20 miler, the first, the last six miles, I slowed down because like it hurt and I just wasn't prepared mentally for that level of pain. And then, but you know, four 20 mile runs later, I'm running at marathon pace because I know what to expect. And so I know how to push through and keep my form. And so yeah. I think just going into like my next marathon, it'll be a little bit different when I get to mile 22. Cause like, I know it's going to hurt at that point and I know exactly how it's going to hurt. And I'm like, all right, I know what's coming. I know when to stop if I'm in serious pain and it's not just like burning and aching, like let's, yeah. let's keep up pace, John. You know, so burning and aching think, is normal. Well, I think you even asked that you're like, Oh, the first 20 miler, my legs hurt really bad. I'm like, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like, that's not like, Oh, okay. So like, and so I think, yeah, like, I think one of those tops for me was the actual run experience. Cause, and, and, and all that being said, like with the experience I had and the understanding I had, I know I crossed that finish line, literally wringing out my rag. I gave everything I had up to the very last, I mean, like, like you said, you saw my face on that live. I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I'm out dude. And you know, I couldn't even walk afterwards. And so I gave it all I had and my time wasn't bad. Like I, I, I looked it up, like, you know, I'm still in the top 50% of people that run marathons. I, the average first marathon for a person is like five to six and a half hours. So like, yeah, the fact that I was able to do what I did with the, with the, with, oh, I've only been training for marathons for nine months. So who knows right. if I keep at it, like what I'm actually capable of. So I'm excited right. for the future to be honest. And I think some things like you do have more muscle mass. So I, I mean, we can talk about this. We're almost running out of time, but we can talk a little about um, later just 
just you and me mm-hmm. about that you for one you have you probably had too much muscle mass like i know we i had to switch from high rep high set the goal of strength training when you're an endurance athlete is to one prevent muscle imbalances and for some people especially older people prevent sarcopenia which i think part of the sarcopenia part is because they people are eat too much carbohydrates which is eats up your muscle but that's i mean that's my opinion but it's not you shouldn't be trying to put on muscle as an endurance athlete because that is weight you have to carry so power to weight ratio if you the more weight you have the more that's going, that's just like putting a monkey on your back training, which I'm not trying to discourage you from strength training, but to be an all around athlete, you're never going to be really good at being a bodybuilder or you're never going to be good at the best at being a runner. You're just going to be stuck in the middle. Keith Barr talks about it in a podcast. He's a sports physiologist and there's a guy who did his thesis, doctoral thesis on it. He was a bodybuilder and he started running with his, the dean of the, the college. And he noticed that his bodybuilding got less and, and he couldn't get that much faster. And it just became his thesis. And you can't activate, you have slow twitch fibers, fast twitch fi- fibers, and then you have fibers that are in between. And if you're, those fibers are always in the middle, you're never going to get them to, to get to you to help you out with either slow the slow twitch, which is endurance or the fast twitch. That may be a deterrent for you in the future getting, you still have some time to figure out like, all right, I'm going to work towards the next one, you know, and see where I'm at. And then, you know, each time you make little tweaks, you know, this time you would just tweak your pacing. I would go back to Mapitone for like the next six weeks, do Mapitone training and then decide where you want to go from there, do do I want to spend the next six months or, you know, it doesn't even have to be six months. It could be like four months, find another marathon and then decide to, to see how it goes. That's the hard part is somebody who wants to be an all around athlete. You're never going to be great at one end or the other, unless you have some pretty phenomenal genes, like abnormal genes. No, it's funny. Cause like one of my idols is this guy named Nick Bear and he's just a freak. He's an absolute freak. He works out six days a week. He just ran a sub three hour marathon. He's training for his second Ironman. And he's like 186 pounds and like 7% body fat. He's an absolute genetic monster. Right. And, uh, and so like, no, but it's been fun for me because I've, I've slowly been stepping away from the bodybuilding and understanding the role that strength training is playing. And because I, I also understand that muscle holds weight, but I know mu- fat holds weight as well. And I know as I become more and more of an endurance athlete and keep my hormones healthy and all that, that I will lean out as well. So there's going to be weight falling off from both ends of that stick. And so, right. yeah, like you said, like it'll be interesting to swear, see where I'm at a year from now, two years from now. Right. And it's like, I know when you first, when we first talked and you switch, I was like, you need to have high reps, high sets. And that was like, what? (laughs) And then you started losing muscle and you were like, I don't know if I like this. So it's just (laughs) sort of uh, some of the weight, the seven pounds you lost may have been that, you know, you lost some muscle mass as well as fat. And it's hard because you worked hard for that muscle mass, but that's. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I had to get, I had to get my body fat checked. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at body fat wise. I could definitely say I looked leaner going into the race for sure. Yeah. But yeah. And I'm okay with that, right? Like I know that I'm going to lose some fast twitch, but I also want to build slow twitch. Right. So like, I kind of want like, yeah, I lost a, okay. I lost like, I don't know, just a, for numbers. Yeah. I lost half a pound of fast twitch, but hopefully right. I gained a, a half a pound of slow twitch. Right. And there's kind of like that offset. Right. Slow twitch muscles are long and lean though. So they're not, that's why endurance athletes look all scrawny. Oh, have you seen my legs? My legs have gotten so much smaller. Oh yeah. And the picture, I was like, looking at the, your pictures you just posted on Instagram. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of mass you're carrying around. You're, you're oh, lean, you're so but you're probably not I know your legs were thighs were probably much bigger before, and they're still very muscular and very defined, but they're still pretty darn big. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It, they look so much smaller to me. They are. They they have like like I like my jeans aren't near as tight on my legs. My butt is the problem. The pavement has not ate this cornbread, and it's going to take some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to have strong glutes, so that's good. The uh, it's such a different thing than the whole bodybuilding. I did the bodybuilding for a very, very short time. What made me want to do is my husband had a really serious bicycle accident and was in the emergency room and then had a walker for a while. He broke his pelvis, collapsed a lung, broke a bunch of bones. And I was like, I don't know about this endurance stuff. And then he got better and I did like, well, I've already committed to this and then the pandemic. And I was like, you know what? I really just like riding my bike. Cycling is pretty awesome yeah running is honestly my favorite like yeah like when i want to do an ironman i psych riding my bike is fun but like competitively i love running i just love my feet on the pavement it just makes me happy that's good if you want to do an ironman that's good because that's the last step that's what uh yes. for me it's so easy to ride a bike but right now i because i still have my hamstring is messed up from the half ironman just running. I mean, I, I had a 10 minute warm up, which I walked and then a 20 minute run and then a 10 minute walk. And it was, it was not super fun. I was like, ah, injuries are no fun. I'll yeah. just tell you that right now. No, definitely from, that, yeah. No, I was going to say like an Ironman, like, yeah, like I would be the one that like the grudgy part would be the swim and the bike ride. And the minute I got off the bike, I would get excited because I get to do what I actually enjoy. <laughs> the exact opposite of most people probably yeah well no i have a friend who um who is a runner and he's qualified for boston a few times and he his swim is horrible and his bike is okay it's not great but then he's <laughs> it's sort of funny in iron man because if you're a good fin swimmer you get out and there's all these bikes still there and you're like yes but if you're not a very good biker, then as soon as you get on the bike, you pass, 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 you know, you're past the whole time. And then you get on the run and then it's either who, you know, it's like an accordion. For me, I'm a slow swimmer. So, but I'm a, well, this half Ironman was not a decent cyclist because I was, my legs were still sore from hiking rim to rim at the Grand Canyon. And uh, I was very mm -hmm. frustrated because I couldn't go as hard as I wanted to. And then I got to the run. I was like, oh. I could, that's it was not a good experience but but I finished your mind can get you through a lot if you if you just 
And I, my whole thing was, you know, I'm already sore before I started. I didn't have a taper because I was sore from the, the Grand Canyon. I was like, I'm just going to keep going until I get to the finish line or I can't go anymore or someone pulls me off the course. And I did get to the finish line. So that, that's good. But for those folks who are listening savage. to it, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I wasn't feeling savage. <laughs> feeling like but you it's it's the crazy things like the it's sort of fun or interesting the little voices in your head and how how much they talk to you and which one are you going to listen to are you going to listen to the one that's like you got to slow down and you're going to listen to the push the, the push harder and at different times i've listened to the ones like push harder and then i end up injured or you know not push enough. It just is a balance. It's like you don't want to have too much of one or the other because those extremes are are where you get into to trouble. Yeah. 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 It's uh, but if I'll tell you if you train well, if you follow the training plan, you train well and you're consistent, race day is always going to be better than if if you phone it in. If you are new to endurance sports and you get super focused and you train really hard, race day tends to be a little easier or you have better results. But then your next one, you're like, well, I didn't have to train that hard. And that is a mistake. Don't ever think like consistency trumps everything. Time and effort and uh, will always trump, always get you to where you want to go or keep moving the bar over. Once you get little, I guess your ego shuts in and you're like, I don't need to do this or I, you know, or I don't need to do that. That's when things start to go downhill. I hope that helps you. It does. No, it does. It does. There's, you taught me a lot. You, you have taught me absolutely a lot. You've, you've really helped me understand training and understanding build phase, you know, and, you know, and base phase and all that stuff. And so I, I'm appreciative of all that for sure. Oh, well, thank you. Have you decided what your next event is? Uh, no, it's between two. There's one called the M2M. It's in El Paso. It's a complete downhill, except for the very oh. last at mile 22. There's a steep hill. What's it uh, called? It's the M2M, the hmm. M2M marathon to marathon. Oh, cool. Uh, it's in October. And then there's another one though. Date. I had a, yeah, yeah. October's not bad. Um, yeah. but I had a friend that reached out and I inspired them to run a full marathon and they live in Tulsa. And so there's a marathon in Tulsa in November. So I might do that one. I haven't decided. Well, both of those are really good dates. That's a gives you enough to build, to work on your base again, and then, and then do another build. So the way it works is like you build up, yeah, taper, yeah. recover, then, you know, build up, you know, it's sort of like, um, like a stair step, you're stair stepping up, stair stepping up. What I use a lot of times, which we didn't talk so much about it, but it's called um, chronic training load. And uh, so you want to, as you get better, you're increasing your volume and intensity based on training stress score. And it's based on your threshold. So you're going to get faster at the same heart rate. And get faster at the threshold, your threshold's going to go up and eventually your volume of fitness just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger to where. Yeah. Like I noticed that like towards the end, I could run at 855 at 165, 170 beats per minute. 
And when I first, when I first start, right before we started training together, that was more like nine minutes and 23 seconds minute per mile pace was the same heart rate. So by the end of our training, I was up 30 seconds per mile with the same heart rate. Yes. Yes. That that's what you want because eventually, and then your threshold Mm -hmm. changes. So then your baseline, so your threshold is what you can do in an hour. So once your threshold changes and then that gives you like, all right, now it's harder to get the same training stressor, but you're just going to be faster. You progressively get faster. It just takes time and you'll get faster. I mean, if you, your pace drops so much from when we started and I don't, I'm not looking at it now to, to tell you the exact numbers, but it was least a minute more or longer per mile, uh, faster per mile that um, it's only going to, if you do that again for the next marathon, then you're going to be just that much closer to getting your Boston qualifier. And the older you get, the nice thing about the Boston qualifier, the older you get, you're like, yay, new new goal. You don't have to go as fast. Yeah. There's nobody like endurance athletes who enjoys getting older. They're like, yes, next age group. <laughs> Oh, that sucks because I'm at the bottom of my age group. I got five years. Oh, well, yes, that's, uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> You're, a, but you have five years. It may, it may take you five years to qualify. So you maybe get down to where like you could qualify at the next age group and boom, then you're, you're in there. I mean, yeah, true. I know people who have qualified like that. They're like, Oh, I'm so close. And then they get a year older. Yes. I mean, there's nothing like going into the next category. <laughs> That's funny. Endurance sports make you age gracefully. I love it. Or it's not even sports, but keto, well, and keto, that little combo helps you age gracefully. All right. Very cool. Thank you so much. Tell people where they can find you. Oh, yes. Um, so you can find me. Uh, so I'm the Keto Road. Literally now, I'm literally the Keto Road. Haha. <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at the Keto Road, TikTok at the Keto Road, Clubhouse at the Keto Road, Instagram or, or Facebook, the Keto Road, YouTube, the Keto Road. You can email me at the Keto Road jo- uh, at gmail.com or you can just go to my website, which is the Keto Road.com. So universal. Wow, all kinds <laughs> of things. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. And I just love working with you. It's super fun. And I am excited to hear about your next yeah, adventure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like and subscribe to the show. If there's anyone you would like to hear from or any topics you would like to hear more about, please let us know in the comments.